Church, let's open up to Revelation chapter 11 together. Revelation 11. I wonder if you have watched one of those shows. Or maybe, maybe it would be one of those movies. Where, where they start out and you're, you know, you're in a scene and you're, you're seeing, you're learning what's going on. And they go to the next scene and you realize that the next scene actually happened in the past. And you're going, oh, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. And now you're, 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 you're going back and you're thinking, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden they go from there back to the present. Okay, we're in the present. Okay, I got it. But then the next scene cuts to the future. Huh. It's almost dizzy to try to keep up with, with a show like that. It's very creative kind of storytelling. Makes a, makes a very uh, interesting uh, way to, to learn and um, understand, the, put the pieces together. The book of Revelation is doing the same thing. Revelation was doing this before it was cool. Uh, jumping around in time a little bit. So if you were with us several weeks ago, we, we talked through Christ opening the seven seals on that scroll. And those seals referenced our day and age, the church age, as God pours out partial judgments, warning judgments upon the world, calling people to repentance. But then we got to the sixth seal, and all of a sudden that seal was the final judgment. And we, whew, okay, now we're in the future. And then we've been back in the present for a while. We just, uh, a couple weeks ago now, uh, did the, the seven trumpets. And similar to the seven seals, they talk about our day and time. They talk about partial judgments that the Lord pours out to call people to repentance. We did six of the seven seals, and this morning we're going to get, uh, sorry, six of the seven trumpets, and this morning we're going to hear the seventh trumpet sound. And as we do, we're going to be back in the future again. So the time shifts again, and the time is shifting to the last day, to the end of the world, to that time after which Christ has already returned and the nations have been judged. We're going to get to be transported into the future and transported into heaven. And we're going to see heaven rejoicing. This is the party at the end of the world. Right? Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is worshiping. Now, very normal for us, natural for us, as we read this to think, whoa, okay, this is a vision of the future. Tell me about the future. I want to know what's going on. And that's a big part of why this is here. But before we jump in, we want to notice something about the passage. We want to notice what is heaven paying attention to? What is heaven noticing? What is the focus? Where is the gaze on that last day? Because the point of the passage isn't just tell me about the future. What we want to see is what is heaven focused on then? Because what they're focused on is the living God. What they're focused on is God Himself. You see, the passage is not fundamentally about the future. It's fundamentally about the God who's going to bring about the future. It's about Him and who He is. And from their perspective, all that He's done. And from our perspective, all that we're still waiting for Him to do. So this is a passage that is a revelation about God 
himself. And, and, and that's, it's for us, friends. So that if we can see God rightly, we can trust him better today. And follow him more nearly and depend on him more closely. And heed his warnings. And obey his promises. So, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself this morning, that we would see something of you truly and rightly, though through sin-stained eyes, or that you would pierce through, that we would know our God better by your powerful word. Amen. Follow along with me. Revelation chapter 11, begin in verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken up your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then, God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. God's word. The seventh trumpet sounds, and we are ushered into the future and into heaven itself. And heaven is worshiping. Verse 15 again. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Loud voices are talking in heaven. What are they saying? What are they talking about? They're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of His Christ. And He's going to reign forever and ever. So what is this kingdom? What, what is heaven talking about when they refer to kingdom? The, the kingdom, in essence, is, is the active ruling of creation. The active ruling of the earth. And the story of the kingdom is as long as the story of the earth itself. It is a way of considering all of human history. It is the story of the kingdom. Back in Genesis, when God created the world, remember He, he made men and women in His image after His likeness to be His agents upon the earth. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Take dominion over it. This was God calling man to take dominion over creation. And so they did. Then, of course, the serpent came. The 
dragon of old. And he enslaved mankind and took control of the kingdom. You realize that there's satanic control over the kingdom of this world? So much so, in fact. You remember uh, much later on in history when Jesus was upon the earth, the enemy came to him to tempt him. And, and his third temptation, he, he comes to Jesus and, and he says, do you see? He takes him up on a high mountain. Do you see all the kingdoms and their glory? All of this can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus, you can have the kingdom back if you worship me. You can have the kingdom and I can guarantee it because it's mine to give. That is chilling. That's a big reason why Jesus came. Of course, he withstood that temptation, withstood many temptations on his way to the cross where he was apparently defeated, but as we sang about this morning, was victorious upon the cross. What was he victorious? There was a fight going on? Yes, there was a fight going on. And it was a fight over the kingdom. It was a fight with the, the prince of the power of the air, the one who is in control of the kingdoms of this world. And on the cross, Christ earned the right to take it back. Praise God. And then, you know, he rose, rose from the dead. What was the last thing he said to his disciples before he ascended? He was talking about the kingdom. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's the one who died for his people and was raised to new life. He had earned that. And the Father had given back into his hand all authority in heaven and on earth. And now, of course, we know he sits at the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns over all things. But, just when I planned it, <laughs> he rules and reigns over all things, but it's not always obvious, is it? If he rules and reigns over all things, why do we have to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We pray that because his will isn't done on earth as it is in heaven, and his kingdom hasn't yet come as it is in heaven. That's why we pray that. And so we live in this in-between time where Christ has ascended, glory to God, he's sitting at the right hand, glory to God, the kingdom is rightfully his, and yet, he has not yet taken full possession. The kingdom has begun, but it's not consummated. It's not fulfilled. That day is coming. It's not here yet. But from the perspective of Revelation 11, what's everybody so excited about? What's everybody worshiping about in heaven on that day? In Revelation 11:15, they are looking back and they are saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. This is the victory song. It's done. It's finished. Jesus is in charge again, as it should be. Glory to God. What a day that's going to be. What a day. 
The kingdom is finally Christ. No more is the kingdom under enemy control. No more is it under the rule of the serpent. No more does the dragon hold sway over the children of men. No longer. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Today, we live in a world where the kingdom is still in rebellion against God. Open warfare under the dragon's sway, imprisoned and hostage. But what it says is that the kingdom of this world has become. We would say from our perspective, will become. It will become. It will become something it's not. We know what it is right now. It's going to become something different. It's going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. This is a way of speaking of the Father and the Son. Our Lord. The Lord God Almighty, the one on the throne. And of His Christ, that is His anointed one. Jesus Himself. And so on that day, many prophecies will have been fulfilled. On that day, Christ will have triumphed over every enemy, secured the kingdom, and He will turn and give that kingdom to His Father. That day's coming. On that day, everyone around Him will declare that He has the name that is above every name. You know these prophecies. You know the one in Philippians chapter 2? Talks about Jesus becoming a servant, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Philippians predicts, Revelation talks about in the past tense, it happened. 1 Corinthians 15 predicts it as well, where it says, Then comes the end, when Christ delivers the kingdom to His Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Revelation 11 shows us what that day will be. The worship continues in verse 17 and 18. When they declare, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you've taken up your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. They begin, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is. Amen. Yes, he is and he was. Amen. But if we're familiar with the book of Revelation, it feels like something's missing. Because we're used to them saying, to the book saying, who was and is and is to come. This is repeated throughout the book of Revelation. He was, he is, He is to come. And this speaks of two different realities at the same time. One, it speaks of God's eternity. Right? From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. He was, He is, He is to come. Speaks of something else, though. Speaks of the promise of His return. Because He was and He is, but this is the God 
who is to come. This is the God who is coming. The God who is returning. We're looking forward to that day when He's returning. That's a promise. It's a promise throughout the book of Revelation. It's a promise throughout the book of Scripture, the whole Bible. That promise is missing from their praise. Why? Why is that promise missing from their praise? Because that promise is fulfilled by the time they are praising. He is the God who was, and they look back at all of history and see what He did. And now they are in the eternal, eternity, present, is. He is. And we worship Him, the one who is forever and forever. They say in verse 17, you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, God has always had great power. But He has not yet, in our day and age, taken it up. And they speak now, having watched God take up, not just His power, His great power. Now He has taken up His power. He has bared His arm. He has unsheathed His sword. And He has begun to reign. It is the fullness of His power. The great power of God. His judge all of His enemies and subdue all of His foes and rescue all of His people and accomplish all of His will. Power! That's what we're praying for. That's what we're looking forward to. And that's what they're looking back on. He did it! He did it! He did it! What did He do? Verse 18 goes into that. They say, the nations raged. This is a quotation, intentional quotation, from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, which talked about the nations raging against God. It wonders, almost mystified, what are the nations thinking to rage against God? Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. Kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. This is the kingdom of this world. Being the kingdom of this world. Raging against God. Fist shaking against God. Taking counsel. Making plans. Hatching schemes. For how long have the nations raged against God? This is another way to look at human history. It is from one end of history to the other end of history the nations have raged against God. So long. And then, so suddenly, so abruptly, so completely, the nations raged, but your wrath came. Over. Done. Finished. The great rebellion is over. Justice has been served. With this statement, John is looking back on the final judgment. Looking back. The nation's rage, but your wrath came. John is, as it were, they are as they were, remembering the final judgment. Thousands of years of defiance, hating God, and... And in a moment, it ended. It stopped. 
justice fully served. Do you know this day is coming? Do you know that this day is coming? The day when, when, when God judges all sin. For them, that is past tense. That we might feel the weight better of the future tense for us. There is no doubt. Heaven's already seen it. There is no doubt that this day is coming. This day is coming when God judges his enemies, when he pours out wrath upon sin. Not just pouring it out in his power, but as it says, the Lord God Almighty pouring it out in his great power. This is world-ending, enemy-crushing, sin-judging, None withstanding power. When the seventh trumpet sounds, many who have been living in a delusion that God is not real, have been living in a delusion that God is not paying attention. Many who have been living in the the dream world that thinks because you get away with sin that God's not counting sin. Many who are asleep will be awakened by that seventh trumpet. And what a terrifying and terrible wake-up call that will be. For that will wake them up to eternity of God's wrath. Friend, wake up today. Wake up today. You don't want to wake up. You love your sin. You love what you're walking in. You don't want to give this up. You don't want to give that up. And how long will grace endure? How long will mercy last? This day is coming and we know not when it is. Could the stakes be higher? Friend, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up before the seventh trumpet that when the seventh trumpet sounds, you can rejoice in God's victory instead of trembling for eternity. It's a call to repentance. Do you recognize that what what Jesus did on the cross, in essence, He heard that seventh trumpet and absorbed the final judgment of the wrath of God on Himself. For all who would ever trust in Him, He endured every bit of what we're reading about here. So that you wouldn't have to if you wake up and repent and turn to Him. You have to hear the bad news if you're going to hear the good news. And it is good news. Christ bore this in your place, but look to Him. And you will rejoice when that trumpet sounds. Christian, I think, for us, church, this convicts me, maybe you. Are we ashamed to speak of the wrath of God? Are we ashamed to speak of the reality that God will one day judge the world? Are we, who have been saved, from the wrath of God, 
by the body of Christ afraid to speak of the wrath of God to those who are still under it. Oh, friends, let us say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And Lord, would you help us to not be ashamed of the gospel? And Lord, forgive us where we have been ashamed of the gospel. Help us to speak as your witnesses on the earth. So we're reading in the past tense of the day of judgment, but it's not just the day of judgment. There's, there is the judgment of sinners, but now we see there is the reward of God's people. Verse 18, the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants. A day of rewarding is coming. And when we hear the seventh trumpet, what a day of rejoicing that will be for God's people. A reward when God, the Lord God Almighty takes up His mighty power and with one arm, as it were, judges the wicked and with the other arm, as it were, rewards His people in His mighty power. Praise God. Reward. Reward. Will our God reward us? Friend, the, the, the rewards that God gives are, are related to our work upon the earth. We are saved by the work of Christ. Rewards have to do with how did we live after that? How did, how did we follow the Lord? Did we, where did we suffer for the Lord? Where did we serve Him? Be assured, the Lord will not fail to reward the least of His saints for the least of their sacrifice. He will fully reward. But let's not get confused with our concepts here. As though, because the rewards are connected to our works, as though somehow they are payment for our works. These are rewards. They're not compensation. They're not our salary. They're not our payment. And we are not owed them. Be it far from our thinking that our God who has given us everything good that He would ever owe us anything. It is unthinkable. Our God owes us nothing. We owe Him everything. Yet the God who owes us nothing is so generous. What a generous King that He will still reward. How generous. <laughs> okay, here's Here's how I think this works. God's going to reward us. Though, first, He had to save us by His own blood, draw us to Himself by the Holy Spirit, work holiness in us through His power, and then He gives us work to do. And He gives us, well, the power to do that work, the inclination and desire to do that work, the health to do that work, the time to do that work, the opportunity to do that work. Though He gives us all of those things, when we simply then do the work that He has provided everything for, He then turns and rewards us. That's incredible! What kind of grace is this? What a gracious, gracious, 
gracious God we serve. So, may the saints of God who know His grace, may the saints of God who know His grace and rely on His grace, so hope in His grace that we're about it. Laboring hard, suffering long, serving often, loving well, knowing He's generous. He's generous. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Last verse. Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. heavenly temple is made visible to all. It is opened so that all can see. And what is seen there in the center of the temple is, as we call it, the Ark of the Covenant. We remember the Ark of the Covenant from the, from the Old Testament. This, this, is, this is the Ark which symbolize, symbolizes the covenant of God. There on the last day, the covenant of God will be visible for all to see. With, with all the divine power associated with it, with lightning, thunder, and earthquakes, and hail. But, but in the center is this ark symbolic of the covenant, of the promise that God made. The promise. Remember the promise He made to Abraham? And He passed it on to Isaac. And then He confirmed it to Jacob. And then God... God worked it stronger through Moses. And then David added to it. God added to it for David. And then the prophets proclaimed it. And then Christ came and renewed it. And then the apostles wrote about it. And the Bible contains it. The covenant that God has made with people from one end of history to the other end of history. At the end of the age, Heaven's going to be open and one thing's going to be obvious. God's covenant is fulfilled. His covenant's fulfilled. He did what He said He would do. Not one promise went unkept. Not one word returned void. No corner was cut. No storyline forgotten. Every promise, every word, every covenant, totally, completely fulfilled. He is who He says He is. And He did what He said He would do. That will be obvious on the last day with thunder and lightning and earthquake and hail. And all will know because all will see that He is who He said He is. And He did what He said He would do. And at this point it's done and it's finished and His glory is on display and the covenant is fulfilled. And on that day, all will know who God is. And every promise He made, He will have kept on that day. On that day, all will know He is helper of the helpless. He is defender of the defenseless. He is friend of the friendless. He is father of the fatherless. He is the husband to the widow. And also, 
He is on that day. Avenger of evil. Writer of wrong. Restorer of justice. Punisher of sin. Bringer of wrath. Judge of all the earth. Lion of the tribe of Judah. And also, on that day, He is Lamb who was slain. Savior of sinners. Redeemer of captives. Restorer of sight. Seeker of the lost. Healer of the sick. Rewarder of His servants. Keeper of His covenants. That's who He is. He is. He is. He is that God. He is our God. He will do all that He has promised to do. And on that day, all will see, and all will know, and all will witness. And then on that day, every knee will bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The world waits for the revelation of that day. We wait for the revelation of that day. But friend, we have something of the revelation of that day today. Though we see it as in a glass dimly. Though we see it as through the fog in the future. The world will learn who God is. We know who God is. We have His promises now. We can look back now and see His promises fulfilled, particularly in Christ. We know who our God is. So, church, ours is to live in light of this. The God on display in Revelation chapter 11. We live today in light of who He is. Who He is revealed to be on that day. And in fact, He's the same God today. He is the covenant-keeping God today. So, let us rely on His covenant. Let us trust His promises. Let us heed with fear and trembling His warning. Let's obey His word. Let's proclaim His Son because surely He is coming soon. And what a day that will be when we gather with the saints around the throne and He rewards His people. Let's live today that day. Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. Worship team. Come on up. Let's stand. Father, as we as it were, ascend into the heavenlies and behold you as you are. We worship you. We are struck by your holiness and power, and majesty. We're convicted of our own sin and of our lack of zeal for you. Oh, grant us your spirit that we who stand here by the blood of Christ may remember the work of Christ on our behalf. Give us your spirit to strengthen us to trust you as we ought. Because you are fully trustworthy, our covenant-keeping God. I pray this in your name. Amen.